morning, everybody. I want to ask you to grab a Bible with me and turn to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 is found on your pew, in your pew Bible on page 944. And as you turn, let me ask you just a very basic spiritual checkup type of question. How are you doing in prayer? Are you praying? How much time are you spending in prayer? Are you seeing and experiencing the wonders of God through your prayers? Is it hard for you to pray? Growing in prayer is such an important part of the Christian life, and yet we all know that it can be at times one of the most difficult parts of our spiritual life. And by their very nature, spiritual things feel mysterious to us at times, don't they? I mean, it's not surprising. God is spirit. He's completely different than we are, holy and completely other. We are spiritual beings, that's the way we are made, and yet we live in a material world and we process our reality largely through our circumstances and events materially. And therefore, it's not a surprise that this spiritual thing called prayer can be difficult. There's another interesting aspect of prayer that causes us confusion at times, and that is confusion about what prayer actually does, or how does God actually use it, or what does it accomplish How do we know if we're praying for the right things or the wrong things? And this is a challenge in the life of the Christian. I love the old tale about the small town that had historically been a dry town, a town where no alcohol was sold. But a local businessman decided that he was going to build a tavern in the town. And so a group of Christians were very concerned about this, and so they planned an all-night prayer meeting at their local church asking God to intervene on their behalf. And as they prayed, it so happened that just a couple days later, lightning struck the tavern and burned the whole thing to the ground. And as you can imagine, the business owner was distraught, and so he hired a lawyer to sue the church, claiming that the prayers of the congregation were responsible for his tavern burning to the ground. The Christians, in turn, hire an attorney to argue just the opposite in the court of law, that actually they weren't responsible for the tavern burning to the ground. And as the judge began to review the case at the beginning, he just had to chuckle as he looked out at those in the courtroom and said, well, no matter how this case turns out, one thing is clear. The tavern owner believes in the power of prayer. And the Christians do not. (laughs) Well, as we consider how prayer relates to the Christian life, I want to ask you to turn with me to Romans 8 and to look at that very encouraging passage together. In the midst of learning how to pray, growing in our prayers, struggling through prayer, God gives us an encouraging word as he continues to remake us. And it's found in verse 26 and verse 27. It says this. It says, Likewise... The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches hearts and knows what is the mind of the Spirit, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Prayer is a part of the Spirit-filled life. And it's interesting, as we've been looking at Romans chapter 8, we've seen how the Apostle Paul paints this picture of how God remakes us as Christians. When you put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, your Christian life is no longer described in terms of slavery to your flesh or slavery to your sinful desires. Your life is no longer defined by your own personal agenda. When we put our faith in Jesus, we become part of something that's infinitely larger than ourselves. We become part of a family of God that has its roots in eternity past and that continues on through the present into eternity future. And in the middle of this, as we try to figure out how to go about the path, God promises to remake us by the power of his spirit And this spirit that he gives us is indeed the power that we need. And so as we think about prayer and we think about the nature of the Holy Spirit, let me remind you just very briefly about some of the ways that the Bible describes the role of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John chapter 14, 16, that the spirit will come and dwell within us. And that in John 16, he says the spirit is the helper who convicts the world with regards to sin, who glorifies Jesus as the Son of God, who leads his followers into truth, into all truth. If you look throughout the New Testament, you see in the book of Acts and beyond that the Holy Spirit is described as one who reveals, who guides us, who empowers us, and who imparts specific gifts to those who have their faith in Jesus. And just here in Romans chapter 8, we see even more with regard to the Spirit. We see that the Spirit and the things of the Spirit give life and peace. And that the Spirit guarantees, is the Spirit guarantees the resurrection of our physical bodies someday. And that the Spirit is the one who initiates this change of status for you. From slaves to the flesh to adoption as sons into the family of God himself. And so, as the third person of the Trinity, God himself, the Holy Spirit, does all of these wonderful things for you and in you through a life of faith. And this great list of things And the new, challenging, and exciting life that it is to be a Christian is one of the reasons why so many people have found Romans chapter 8 to be one of the most encouraging chapters in the book of the Bible for centuries. And so if the Spirit does all of these things, then the question becomes is how can the Christian participate in this spiritual work? Or how can he or she live in the Spirit. You see in Romans chapter 8 a description of the Christian life as a life lived in the Spirit. And so, how does the Christian live in the Spirit? And to this point in chapter 8, we've seen the answer has been twofold. 
First is that the Christian relies on the finished work of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, that there's nothing in me that is morally good enough to accomplish the work of God or gain heaven. I rely completely on Jesus. That's how we live in the Spirit. Secondly, we see that we live in the Spirit in Romans chapter 8 by putting to death our sinful desires, that we resist the temptation to sin that is before us. But now here we see the third answer. And it's very simple and elementary in its nature. It's so simple that it's not even commanded. It's just assumed. How do you live in the Spirit? You pray. You pray. And it strikes me that Paul doesn't even give a command to pray here. He doesn't need to. Prayer is communicating with God in such a manner that we praise him or worship him for who he is and what he does. We ask him for things. (laughs) And we express our dependence on him for all things. We worship, we ask, and we express our dependence on him. And prayer has been the practice of God-fearers since the very beginning of time. And so let me remind you of a couple of the descriptions of prayer that we see woven throughout the Bible. And there are many more than this, but use these for your encouragement. Psalm 88, 13, the psalmist writes, But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. In Matthew 6, verse 6, Jesus says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In Ephesians chapter 6, 18, the Apostle Paul writes, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And likewise, it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Or James 5.16 says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is as great power as it's working. Or 1 Timothy 2 verse 8 says, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without angering or quarreling. And so we see prayers woven throughout the Bible, so much so that it's even assumed here in Romans chapter 8 as part of the remaking work that God does in your life. And it's particularly encouraging to us that because, as we saw in earlier in Romans chapter 8, we have this status change before God, it changes the way that we approach God in prayer. Because we're not slaves to sin and in our flesh, we don't have to cower in fear that God will somehow come against us. But quite the opposite, we're adopted as his sons, it says, all of us, men and women alike, the status of a son. And that means that God makes himself available to us at all times and desires to hear our prayers. There was a pastor one time who was explaining to his young son how things worked around the church office. It was a large church, and so the pastor explained how the secretary screened his calls as they came in to the office and 
how when his mother called, that was a little bit of a different type of phone call. When mom called, the secretary would tell her what the pastor was doing and she could decide whether or not he should be interrupted or if she should just leave a message. And then he said to his son, but if you call me, you will be put through right away every time. Because I want you to know, son, that you can call me anytime. And the reason that you can call me anytime is because you're my son. And a few days later, the church secretary put the call through from the son to the pastor, interrupted what he was doing, and the pastor picked up the phone and he said hello and asked what he could do for his son. And his son simply replied, Nothing, Dad. I just wanted to make sure I could actually get through to you that easily. Now that you are children of God through faith in Jesus, you can get through to the Father just that easily. He wants to hear from you upon your every single need. And he desires the intimacy of relationship that that creates. He gives you unfettered access to him. And so, in one sense, we see throughout the Bible that where the work of the Spirit meets the spiritual work of the Christian, these two things come together in prayer. And that's incredibly encouraging for us, but it also creates kind of a unique problem because we all know that prayer can be very difficult at times. We've all experienced it before. Prayer can be hard. And so Paul says in verse 26, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. When you are young in the faith, you don't know what to pray for because you're still even learning how to talk to God. That sort of awkward feeling of talking to someone that you can't see and who is not audibly responding to you. I mean, sometimes I feel awkward up here talking to you and I can see you. But when you have that kind of blank look on your face and no response... That can be awkward. Now, so we can relate. We can all relate to the idea of, of the difficulty or awkwardness in prayer when we're new Christians. And so if you're in that place today, then I just want to encourage you uh, that it gets better. <laughs> it gets less awkward. And how do you help it get less awkward? Well, I would just encourage you to take five minutes, just start with a simple five minutes. Everybody has five minutes that they can find in their day and set aside that time just to talk to God and to learn how to talk to him, to thank him and praise him, to ask him for things and to express your dependence on him. And as you grow, you soon quickly realize that five minutes is not nearly enough time and it becomes easy, too easy to talk only for five minutes, and so you spend time talking to God for ten minutes. And as you continue to grow, ten minutes becomes very easy for you to talk to God because you're now becoming accustomed to this idea of prayer. And ten minutes can turn into 15 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes even before you know it. When you're young in the faith, it can be difficult to pray, but you can grow. 
But, you know, even for those who are mature in the faith, who've been following the Lord for a very long time, there are a lot of situations in life that are so complicated that we don't know how to pray. I mean, some situations have such a mixture of good and bad that are intertwined, and we're caught in the middle. Situations that we see, if the prayer is answered in the way that I desire, this will create great good, or seemingly great good for some people. But at the very same time, if it's answered the way that I desire, might create something that's seemingly bad for other people. I don't know how many times I've talked to people and we talk about the difficult situations of life and sort of exacerbate it. They just say, I don't even know how to pray right now. I'm just trying to put together some words that seem to make sense. And then there are situations where we know that we need something, anything from God. But we don't know how to ask for it. We don't know how to pray. Romans chapter 8, we were, to remind you of where we were, we were talking about the difficulty of prayer. And for the mature believer and for the new believer alike, this dynamic of we often do not know how to pray as we ought is something we've all experienced. And so why is it hard? Why is it hard? It's hard for a number of reasons. It's hard because we don't know God's specific will for the situation at hand. It takes us a while as Christians to even understand that God has an agenda for the world and how we fit into that agenda. But there's those situations in life where we don't know what God's specific will is. And so we see that right here that We don't know what we ought to pray for. The reason why the Spirit helps is because the Spirit knows the will of God. In the meantime, we're weak. And we have a hard time deciphering such things. Another reason why it's so hard is because we don't see the whole picture clearly, do we? Uh, We look at a situation from our limited, finite perspective. We see something we're frustrated with. We sense something's not right. We don't know how to pray for God's will in that situation. And it becomes difficult or frustrating for us. There's a lot of analogies we could use for this, right? If you're you're the boss um, in your job and you have people who work underneath you and one of your employees come to you expressing their concern or discontent with something that's going on in the company, Uh, you might be able to listen to them warmly and maybe they have a legitimate concern or a legitimate gripe, but at the same time, you see the picture much more clearly than they do. I think about this with my kids. We have two kids who hardly eat anything at all. There's days where I wonder how they're still upright with the minimal caloric intake. But we have another child who eats just about everything, all the time. And it's not uncommon for her to come to us 30 minutes before dinner, and she's not just hungry, and she's not just angry, she's hangry. And she says, I need a snack right now. But she doesn't see the whole picture. She doesn't see that dinner's right around the corner, 
She doesn't even at that moment smell the aroma that's coming from the oven. She's so focused into her little situation and what she thinks and what she feels that the big picture escapes her. This is the same for Christians. This is the same for us. We're focused on ourselves and our situations at hand and we don't know how to pray for God's will specifically. Or how about the fact that prayer is just difficult sometimes because we're weak or we're sin-ridden or we're undisciplined or maybe we're overcome by guilt and we don't feel like we can actually approach God and we have a hard time simply spending time with him. And so prayer becomes hard. A woman went to Andrew Murray one time with a problem that she was feeling that she could not pray. And he said, why then don't you try this? He said, as you go to your inner chamber, however cold and dark your heart may be, do not try in your own might to force yourself into the right attitude. Bow before him. And tell him that he sees in what a sad state that you are and that your only hope is in him. And trust him with childlike faith to have mercy upon you and wait upon him. In such a trust, you are in a right relationship to him. You have nothing, but he has everything. And the woman later came back to him and told Murray that his advice had helped. And in fact, that she discovered that her trust in Christ's love for her actually could help her pray, even when prayer did not come so easily. And so we're told in the Bible that prayer is part of a vital spiritual life. And yet we often fall short in asking for the things that we should ask for in prayer. And this leads us to the good news of this passage, and that is very simply that God doesn't leave us alone. God doesn't leave you alone to try to figure out how to pray and to approach him in a manner that's pleasing to him. The Spirit of God actually comes alongside and helps you. We might even say that as we attempt to pray in the Spirit, the Spirit actually does pray in us. (laughs) As we attempt to pray in the Spirit, the Spirit actually does pray in us. And so let's look at the passage again. It's just two short verses. We'll read it again. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's make some observations. We've made a lot of observations about ourselves and our weakness. We can relate to that. But what does it say about the Spirit? It says the Spirit helps us. It says the Spirit intercedes for us. It says the way that the Spirit intercedes for us is with groanings too deep for words. And it says that the Spirit intercedes according to the will of God. So when we don't know how to pray or what to pray, the Holy Spirit that is indwelling you will actually pray to the Father on your behalf, overcoming your weakness with his strength. Isn't that good news? 
as we attempt to pray in the Spirit, the Spirit actually does pray in us. And I know that there are a few questions that this evokes. And the most obvious one, of course, for us is, what does it mean that he intercedes with groanings too deep for words? What does that mean? Well, it's, it's a unique occurrence in the Bible. This word, too deep for words, is actually one word in the Greek New Testament. And it's only used one time in the Bible, right here. Now, the base or the etymology of the word is that it's unspoken or ineffable or wordless. That's an indescribable thing that the Holy Spirit does. And so, over the centuries, people have kind of come down to one or two places on this of what it actually means. Either what is happening here with this groaning's too deep for words is an imperceptible prayer by the Spirit to the Father that we can't see, hear, feel, understand. Or that what the Spirit is talking about here is in line with another type of prayer that the Spirit gives, and that is the gift of tongues. And I'm sure that as we talk about the spiritual gifts and the gift of tongues, there's probably a lot of different experiences or opinions in the room today. And we could talk at great length about that, and particularly from 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. But I don't think what Paul is referring to here in Romans chapter 8 is the gift of tongues. And I'll tell you why. There's at least two reasons why. Number one, the gift of tongues, as we see in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 30, is a gift that is given to some believers. Not all believers, all believers have at least one, maybe many spiritual gifts. If you're here today, you're a Christian, God's gifted you in one or many ways to encourage you and to edify those around you. But the gift of tongues, like the other spiritual gifts, is not given to everyone. It's given to some. But the groans here in Romans chapter 8, 26 and 27, those groans are means of intercession that come to the aid of all believers, all who have the Spirit. And so that would sort of eliminate the idea of it being the gift of tongues. Here's the second reason for you. That if this word means unspoken, then it's almost impossible to identify it with the gift of tongues because tongues are spoken. <laughs> Even if you don't understand them, they're still spoken words. And so therefore, it's most likely to me that these groans that are too deep for words are the Spirit's own prayer language to God the Father that's imperceptible to Christians. And as verse 27 points out, that it happens in our hearts. So because we fail to know God's will, then we are naturally limited in understanding of what to pray for. But our failure is met by God's Spirit who stands in the place he expresses petitions to God that perfectly align with God's will. Jesus calls the Spirit the helper, and this is one of the ways that he helps us. The Spirit actually prays in us. And he's able to help us because he knows the will of the Father as verse 27 says. The reason why the Spirit is so effective in this prayer 
is due to the nature and relationship of the members of the Godhead. There's perfect agreement between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, perfect unity. And so verse 27 tells us, look at it with me, that God is the one who searches the heart and he knows what the Spirit intends. And there's perfect harmony between the two because it is in accordance with God's will that the Spirit intercedes for the saints. And this is a great thing to think about. Think about this for a second. God cares so much about you. He cares so much about your growth in holiness. He cares so much about your growth in faithfulness and godliness. God cares so much about you having an intimate relationship with him. And he cares so much about the completion of your salvation that is guaranteed into eternity that all three members of the Trinity function in this staying work of your salvation. All three parts of the Trinity accomplish this reality together. God the Father enacts his will on earth and in your life. And there's one who sits in heaven, Jesus, God the Son, who intercedes on our behalf, and he defends us against all the charges that the devil brings against us that we're not good enough, that we're not strong enough, that we're full of sin and guilt, and that we're worthy of condemnation and death. And Jesus defends us, pointing to his own righteousness as our standing for righteousness, and thus guaranteeing our salvation on the day of judgment. But there's also another, an intercessor in the heart, the Holy Spirit who effectively prays to the Father on our behalf through all the difficulties and confusion of our life here on earth. God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, all working together as he remakes us and guarantees our salvation completely and finally. So as we attempt to pray in the Spirit, the Spirit actually prays in us. And so what does this mean for you tomorrow? Tonight, this means that when you don't know how to pray, ask the Spirit to help you, and he will. <laughs> this means that when we pray, that we can be confident that even in our shortcomings, that God will accomplish his will. He will accomplish his will to perfection, even if we're praying for the wrong thing, <laughs> It does not mean that you can just stop praying altogether and that the Spirit will do the work completely independently of you or that you can be more casual in your approach to God. In fact, it should motivate us just to the opposite. It should give us a new reverence and appreciation for this work. A.W. Tozer once said that it's because of hasty and superficial conversation with God that the sense of sin is so weak and that no motives have power to help you to hate and flee from sin as you should. But to approach God thoughtfully and seriously and reverently, knowing that he will accomplish his will and use the Spirit in our prayers to do it. And in this way, the act of prayer is an act of divine communion between the Holy Spirit of God and the Father God with the Christian right in the middle of such a communion. As we attempt to pray in the Spirit, the Spirit actually does pray in us. And so pray. Pray 
earnestly and diligently. When you don't feel like praying, continue to fall before God and talk to him, depending upon him to fill in the gaps. Don't be scared to pray to this father who invites you into his family. Don't neglect the power of God that his spirit gives us through prayer. Try your very best to understand the will of God in this world, his agenda for life, and then pray that his specific will be, will be accomplished in your circumstances and in your life. And know that as you do those things, there is one who is right there to help you. Early African converts to Christianity were earnest and regular in their private devotions and in their prayer. And each one reportedly had a separate spot in the thicket to pray, to pour their heart out to God. And over time, the paths to these different spots in the thicket would become well worn down. And as a result, if one of these believers began to neglect prayer, it would soon be apparent to all the others. And they would kindly remind the negligent one, Brother, the grass grows on your path. Don't let the grass grow on your path. Keep striving for the Lord in prayer. And with that, let's pray together. We turn our attention now to the Lord's Supper. And we pray thanksgiving. (laughs) We ask for God's forgiveness as we remember Christ crucified. We know that we have access to God in prayer because the access has been given by the Lord Jesus as he forgives us of our sins. And so let's pray and ask for God's help in this. Please pray with me. Lord God, we pray to you asking for help in prayer. (laughs) We want to commune with you. We want to know your will and we want to pray in accordance with your will. And so we pray that you would help us evermore to do this and that we would experience the wonderful intimacy that comes as we do. Father, we pray a prayer of thanksgiving for your spirit who intercedes for us and that we receive much benefit from. May we evermore appreciate this ministry even if we can't see it or feel it or know it. We proclaim today that we trust it and trust you in it. Father, as we turn our attention to the Lord's Supper, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he lived a perfect life, especially when we could not. We thank you that he sacrificed himself in our place and that he freely forgives us of our sins. We pray today that we would more fully appreciate the wonderful gift of grace that you give through him. And we confess our sins to you. We know, Lord, that we rebel, sometimes in negligence, sometimes in active rebellion. And we pray today that you would indeed forgive us and restore us because of this grace and because of this work of Christ. As we remember him now, we worship you in confidence. Amen.